0: In his classic best-selling book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, Patrick Lencioni laid out a groundbreaking new approach for attacking the dangerous group behaviors that destroy teamwork. Here, in this book, The Ideal Team Player, he turns his focus to the individual member of a team, revealing the three indispensable virtues that make some people better team players than others. Lencioni's latest page-turning fable is the story of a leader desperate to save his company by cracking the code on the virtues that define a true team player. Jeff Shanley takes over his family's locally revered construction firm and realizes that the only way to deliver on the two biggest projects in the company's history is to rapidly build a culture of hiring and development around those virtues. To do that, he'll have to confront and risk losing talented employees who don't know how to work on a team and convince his fiery VP of operations not to lower the company's hiring standards in the face of short-term business pressure beyond the fable Lencioni presents a powerful framework and easy-to-use tools for identifying hiring and developing ideal team players in any kind of organization whether you're a leader striving to create a culture of teamwork a human resources professional looking to hire real team players or an employee wanting to make yourself an invaluable team member, the ideal team player will prove to be as practical as it is compelling. Introduction. If someone were to ask me to make a list of the most valuable qualities a person should develop in order to thrive in the world of work, and for that matter, life, I would put being a team player at the top. The ability to work effectively with others, to add value within the dynamics of a group endeavor, is more critical in today's fluid world than it has ever been before. Few people succeed at work, in the family, or in any social context without it. I'm sure that most people would agree with this, which is why it's a little surprising that great team players are somewhat rare. I think the problem is that we've failed to define what being a team player requires which leaves the concept somewhat vague, even soft. It's not unlike teamwork itself, which still gets more lip service than practical attention. In my book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, I explained that real teamwork requires tangible, specific behaviors, vulnerability-based trust, healthy conflict, active commitment, peer-to-peer accountability, and to focus on results. Thankfully, With enough coaching, patience, and time, most people can learn to embrace those concepts. However, I must admit that some people are better at being team players, at embracing those five behaviors, than others. They're not born that way, but either through life experiences, work history, or a real commitment to personal development, they come to possess the three underlying virtues that enable them to be ideal team players. They are humble, hungry, and smart. As simple as those words may appear, none of them is exactly what they seem. Understanding the nuances of these virtues is critical for applying them effectively. During the past 20 years of working with leaders and their teams, I've seen time and again that when a team member lacks one or more of these three virtues, the process of building a cohesive team is much more difficult than it should be, and in some cases impossible. We've been using this approach for hiring and management at the Table Group since our founding in 1997, and it has proven to be a remarkable predictor of success, as well as a reliable explanation of failure. As a result, we've come to the conclusion that these three seemingly obvious qualities are to teamwork what speed, strength, and coordination are to athletics. They make everything else easier. The ramifications of all this are undeniable. Leaders can identify, hire, and cultivate employees who are humble, hungry, and smart will have a serious advantage over those who cannot. They'll be able to build stronger teams much more quickly and with much less difficulty. And they'll significantly reduce the painful intangible costs associated with politics, turnover, and morale problems. And, employees who can embody these virtues will make themselves more valuable and marketable to any organization that values teamwork. The purpose of this little book is to help you understand how the elusive combination of these three simple attributes can accelerate the process of making teamwork a reality in your organization or in your life so you can more effectively achieve the extraordinary benefits that it brings. I hope it serves you well. Part one, the situation. Enough. After 20 years, Jeff Shanley had experienced more than his fair share of the Silicon Valley. The hours, traffic, pretentiousness, it was time to make a change. To be fair, it wasn't really the work that Jeff had grown tired of. In fact, he had enjoyed an interesting and successful career. After a few jobs in high-tech marketing at age 35, he co-founded a technology startup. Two years later, he was fortunate enough to get demoted when the board of directors hired what they called a grown-up CEO. During the next four years, that CEO, Katherine Peterson, taught Jeff more about leadership teamwork in business than he could have learned in a decade of business school. When Catherine retired, Jeff left the company and spent the next few years working at a small consulting firm in Half Moon Bay, over the hills from the Silicon Valley. Jeff thrived there and was on the verge of becoming a partner, but during that time he and his wife began to grow tired of trying to keep up with the Joneses, which happened to be the name of the family that lived in the overpriced bungalow next door. Jeff was definitely ready for a change. Where he would go and what he would do next was a mystery mystery to him. He certainly didn't expect the answer to come via a phone call from his Uncle Bob. Robert Shanley had been the most prominent and diversified building contractor in the Napa Valley for three decades. Whether it was a winery, a school, or a shopping center, if it was being built in Napa, there was a decent chance that Valley Builders was involved in some significant way. Unfortunately for Bob, none of his kids was interested in taking over the family business, instead choosing to be restaurateurs, stockbrokers, and high school teachers. And that's why Bob called his nephew, to see if he knew anyone who might be interested in running the company in a couple of years when Bob retired. It wasn't the first time that Bob had turned to his nephew for advice. Jeff had helped him on a few occasions in the past and actually consulted to the executive team a year earlier on a substantial project around teamwork, which was one of the firm's values. Jeff had focused his efforts on building more effective teams at the highest levels of the company. Bob loved the work Jeff did and often bragged about his nephew during family reunions, usually saying something to the effect of, this boy is my best advisor. His cousins teased Jeff, pretending to resent their father's favoritism. Bob thought so much of Jeff that he had absolutely no expectation that his ambitious nephew in the exciting world of high tech would ever be interested in working in construction, which is why, he was so stunned when Jeff asked, Would you consider hiring someone without industry experience? Someone like me? Transition. Within the month, Jeff and Maureen Shanley had sold their tiny home in San Mateo and moved their two children and one dog to the northern end of Nava. The town, not the valley. The Jeff's commute to the valley builder's office was about four miles. And even if he drove the speed limit, it took just seven minutes. It was during those minutes that Jeff experienced an initial wave of remorse. Though everything on the domestic side of his decision had been going well, learning the nuances of the construction industry proved to be more of a challenge than he expected. Or more precisely, it was the lack of nuance that was the problem. Everything in construction seemed to come down to physical, material issues on were the days of theoretical debates and pie-in-the-sky planning. Jeff now found himself learning about concrete matters having to do with everything from air conditioning to lumber to, well, concrete. But soon enough, Jeff not only got used to this new way of working, he actually came to prefer it. Straightforward conversations about tangible things may have been less sophisticated than high-tech, but they were also more gratifying. And he was learning more than he could have ever imagined from his uncle, who never finished college, but seemed to have a better understanding of business than many of the CEOs Jeff had worked with in technology. After eight weeks of observation and learning, Jeff came to the conclusion that the move to Napa was the right one, and that the stress of his previous life in the Silicon Valley was over. He was wrong. Part Two Diagnosis The Ropes Bob Stanley had never been a cautious man, which was one of the reasons his firm had done so well. He had been decisive and bold in growing the company when others were hedging their bets. Aside from the occasional and inevitable economic downturns, most of Bob's decisions had yielded significant long-term benefits. The firm had more than 200 people on staff, making it one of the larger employers in the area. Those employees, ranging from entry-level construction workers to architectural engineers, were generally well compensated and, more important to Bob, had generous benefits plans. Though bonuses varied from year to year depending on the region's economy and success of Bob's, Bob's business development, no one who worked at Valley Builders felt underpaid. Employees weren't the only people who depended on VB's financial success. A small group of family members, whom Bob called private shareholders, had a financial stake in the company. These were Bob's wife and kids, as well as a few of his siblings who helped him launch the company more than three decades earlier. One of those siblings was Jeff's dad, who had relied on the financial windfall to help fund his retirement. During those first months on the job, Jeff had focused almost exclusively on learning the operations of construction. This consisted primarily of studying the day-to-day tactical and financial nature of the business, everything from material acquisition and scheduling to permitting and labor costs. Bob decided to wait a few months to teach Jeff about the longer-term strategic issues related to the company's overall financial health and new business development. Though Jeff certainly asked a few questions about those issues. Bob assured him that he would sit down with Jeff to review that part of the business as soon as his nephew felt comfortable in the blocking and tackling of the construction industry. Jeff had no idea how soon that day would come and what a shock that conversation would be. For that matter, neither did Bob. DISCLOSURE Sitting down for lunch at an upscale BBQ barbecue restaurant near the Napa River, Bob got right to the point. Here's the deal. I am ridiculously happy, happy that I hired you. You've already been a blessing to me and the company. Jeff felt as gratified by this feedback as anyone he had heard in his entire career. Probably because it came from a family member, but he could tell his uncle had more to say. In fact, I'm going, I'm not going to wait a year to put you in charge. We're going to do it right away. Caught completely off guard by the announcement, Jeff pushed back. Whoa, I don't think we should get ahead of smiling. Bob waved his hand and interrupted. Don't start telling me you're not ready because I already know that. Jeff was confused. I don't want you to be ready, Jeff. I want you to be excited and a little nervous. That's good for you. Something about his uncle seemed off to Jeff. Well, I think I'll be plenty excited and nervous in six months. Why don't we just... Because we can't, Bob interrupted again, this time in a much more serious tone. He paused and struggled to get out the next sentence. Jeff... My doctor says I have a serious heart condition, the kind you don't recover from. I don't understand half the words the doctor uses, something about ischemia or angina. All I know is that he says I need surgery and that my life needs to change immediately. Just then the waitress shattered the moment when she came over to take their orders Recovering himself immediately, Bob promptly ordered a salad with no dressing and a glass of water. Then he teased Jeff. But if if you don't get the ribs, I'm going to kick your ass right here. Jeff laughed and ordered the ribs. As the waitress walked away, he asked Bob the big question. Are you going to be okay? If surgery goes well and I do what the doctor tells me, I should be fine. But it's going to be hard for me, which is why I have to step away from the business. Bob paused. I can't believe I just said that. I think I'm still in shock that I won't be there next week. But I have to leave, because I'm not good at doing things halfway. When is your surgery? A week from now, unless something changes and they can get me in sooner. Jeff was stunned. So he was showing his trademark confidence and humor, Bob was clearly taking all of this very seriously. Honestly, Jeff, I don't know what we'd do if we hadn't hired you. Jeff nodded, glad for the confidence, but not loving the context of it all. That context was about to get much worse. When it rains. Jeff decided to dive into the details. Well, I hate to do this, but I think it's time we talked about the balance sheet and the longer-term financials of the company. Bob nodded a little sheepishly and reached for something in his computer bag. I think I brought most of what you need. Knowing his uncle well, Jeff was starting to feel like something wasn't right. He probed. Based on everything I've seen so far, I'm guessing the company's in pretty good shape. It was more of a question than a statement. Bob smiled the way he used to smile in... He assured the kids he wouldn't throw them in the deep end of the pool just before he did exactly that. Absolutely. He didn't sound confident. But I need to talk to you about some new challenges and opportunities. As concerned as he was, Jeff laughed out loud. I don't think I like the sound of this. Oh, you'll be fine. This is just how the industry works. The waitress brought Jeff's beer, Bob's water, So what kind of challenges and opportunities are we talking about, Jeff asked. Bob stopped rifling through his bag and looked Jeff in the eye with a bizarre mix of excitement and worry. Jeff, we just landed two great projects. He paused to let his nephew take in the information and then continued, it's very exciting. The Queen of the Valley Hospital project, which I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, came through on Monday. And I signed the papers yesterday morning for the new hotel project in St. Helena. He paused and seemed to force a big smile. We're going to build both of them. Jeff was confused. That's good news, right? It's fantastic news, Bob answered, in a tone that was something less than fantastic. When was the last time we had two projects like that on the books at the same time? Jeff was more than a little curious to know. Bob hesitated. Bob hesitated looking down at his glass of water for a moment and back up at Jeff. That's the thing. We've never had two major projects like this at the same time. He paused. In fact, both of these are as big as anything we've ever done. Any semblance of a smile that had remained on Jeff's face disappeared. As overwhelmed as he was, he had yet to receive the worst news of all. Committed. Jeff took a deep breath. Okay. I know this is hard to hear, and the last thing I want to do is stress you out, Bob. But maybe we need to focus on one of the projects and let the other one go. I mean, it sounds like this would be a challenge if you were running the show. But with a new and inexperienced CEO like me, this could be a recipe for disaster. Bob nodded and took a drink of his water. I understand, Jeff wanted to be relieved, but he sensed that a qualifier was coming. He was right. His uncle's smile slid into a wince. It's just that the legal nature of the hospital deal is that if we back out, we lose a huge chunk of capital. And they've already advanced us a first payment on the hotel, part of which we're using to finish the Oak Ridge shopping mall. Jeff was now starting to feel very warm and not in a good way he took a long drink from the beer bottle in front of them so we're talking about cash flow issues and this is too much to walk away from Bob nodded oh yeah it would be a deal breaker for the firm then his smile returned but as soon as we get these projects going We'll be fine from a cash standpoint. Suddenly, Jeff was not appreciating his uncle so much. Bob tried to cheer him up. You can do this, Jeff. You're smarter than I am. You're younger than I am, and you'll have plenty of help. Jeff's tone changed. How long ago did all this happen? He was beginning to sound a little accusatory. Well, like I said, the the hotel deal closed yesterday, and the hospital came through. No. No. I mean with the doctor, Jeff interrupted. Bob was puzzled. Well, that was just yesterday afternoon. It was supposed to be just a precautionary test because I had a little pain recently. His eyes opened widely as he suddenly realized what Jeff was getting at. You don't think that I knew all this and set you up, do you? I wouldn't do that to you, Jeff. Bob started to sound a little choked up. If I had any idea that I'd be leaving the business, I would never have agreed to these projects and put you in this dilemma. Jeff felt terrible for his uncle and for having seemed to distrust him, but he couldn't help but ask the next question. So then, you don't think I can do it? No, that's not what I meant. I just meant that putting you in a situation like this is not something I would have done on purpose, but that doesn't mean you can't manage it. You'll hire a few more people. It's just a matter of scale. It'll be fine. Jeff hoped Bob really meant it. He wasn't convinced. The Plunge Jeff decided not to finish the rest of his beer. He figured he needed to get back to work and be focused for the rest of the day, and probably into the evening. Bob told his nephew that he had already informed his two most senior people of the impending change, and He advised Jeff to go see them right after lunch. Jeff agreed and then asked whether he would have complete freedom in running the company. Bob assured him, no limits or restrictions, starting immediately. Glad to have that assurance. Jeff spent the rest of lunch talking with his uncle about his health and his family. No business at all. At the end of the conversation, as he stood to leave, he apologized for questioning Bob's intent. I don't blame you. Bob assured him, I'd have wondered the same thing. Suddenly Bob smiled and looked at Jeff intently, you know something, one of the worst things about all this is that I'm not going to get to work with you. He paused to avoid getting emotional. You might not know this, but I've been more excited these past couple of months than I have been in years. Jeff gave his dad's brother the kind of a hug that had nothing to do with business and left the restaurant with a heavy heart. Exit right. On his way back to the VB offices, he called the two executives he would be relying on to keep the company alive and scheduled a meeting that afternoon. One of the reasons he hadn't lost all hope in his future at the firm was his confidence in two long-time employees, Claire Masick and Bobby Brady. Claire was a tallish blonde woman a few years younger than Jeff who ran all the firm's administration, which included finance legal, and HR. She had been the only human resources leader in the company's history, hired begrudgingly seven years earlier after Bob's personal attorney convinced him that not having an HR function was exposing the company from a legal standpoint. Bob insisted on finding someone who would be supportive of the company and interested in construction. As he explained it, the candidates he interviewed. I don't want some tree-hugging activist who hates business coming in here and screwing up the culture. Many of those candidates opted out of the process, but when Claire heard those words, she knew she belonged. The daughter of a military dad and dance teacher mom, she had struggled to find her calling after college. Fascinated by psychology and business, but not enough to pursue a career in either field on its own. She decided that human resources might provide her with the right combination. Her first several years in HR prior to joining VB were horrendous. A mix of bureaucratic protocol and touchy-feely workshops, Claire was all but ready to bail from the field when she heard about the job opening at Valley Builders. After 20 minutes with Bob Stanley, Bob Shanley, Claire had a change of heart. Jeff had come to know Claire over the past few years, especially through his teamwork consulting engagement with VB. During the executive team sessions, he had quickly learned why Bob liked her so much and why he had put so much responsibility in her hands. Thankfully, she seemed glad when Jeff joined the company, so he figured they would work well together. Bobby Brady, a smiling, barrel-chested 52-year-old with graying hair, was the head of all field operations at VB. He had first proved his good nature 11 years earlier when he arrived at the firm and his peers decided that it would be too confusing to have, Bob's, have two Bobs on the leadership team. So in a moment of playful cruelty, they referred to him as Bobby, knowing full well that this was the name of the youngest boy character on the Brady Bunch, one of America's most iconic sitcoms. Bob or Bobby didn't blink, embracing the moniker with self-deprecating humor and unexpected grace, deciding that he would be able to discard the name before long. Much Much to his surprise, he quickly grew accustomed to his new identity at work and found that it helped him build relationships with contractors and vendors who liked to tease him. It certainly helped that Bobby knew the construction business cold. He had built a solid reputation in his career for being honest, diligent and timely in his projects, something that set him apart from many of his peers in the industry. When Jeff called Claire and Bobby on the way back to the office to ask them to meet in Bob's office, he learned that Bob had broken the big news to them just a few hours earlier over breakfast. Jeff was more than a little curious to find out what Claire and Bobby thought of the new arrangement, after only a few hours to digest it. Their reactions would not be what he expected. drama. When Jeff arrived, Claire and Bobby were already in his uncle's office, an unspectacular room that Bob refused to modernize or decorate since the company was founded. His wife referred to its style as 1970s construction, which suited her husband just fine. Bobby was sitting behind the big wooden desk and he didn't look happy. Sit down, Jeff. It felt more like an order. Claire went first, Now, Jeff, I think you know we're not the kind of people who smile at someone in person and then talk about them behind their backs. So we're going to be up front with you, whether you like it or not. Before Jeff could say, sure, Bobby took over. The thing is, we're not too thrilled about you being our new boss. Jeff froze. He would tell his wife later that night that he felt like he was in a scene from a bad movie. Bobby paused to let the words hang there before continuing. I've worked my ass off for more than a decade for your blowhard uncle, and how does he reward me? By giving the top job to his nephew? Jeff was stunned and looked at Claire to see if she shared any of his shock at the harsh words coming out of Bobby's mouth. Apparently she didn't because she just stared at Jeff, who tried to defend himself. Listen, I didn't expect Bobby interrupted him. I don't want to hear it. You knew when you came here that you had the inside track. Bob must have known when he hired you that he'd be leaving. No, no. He said that he just met with the doctor yesterday and that he... Now Claire interrupted. Come on, Jeff, do you think we were born yesterday? It seemed like Claire had more to say, but she suddenly stopped, stood up, and turned away from Jeff toward the windows. Bobby looked at her with a mix of concern and disappointment on his face. With greater intensity than before, he continued the tirade directed at Jeff. So here's the deal. If you're going to be the boss, we're out of here. Jeff was spinning, speechless. As angry as he should have been, Bobby seemed distracted by Claire, glancing over at her. Jeff turned to to see why and noticed that Claire was visibly shaking. Is she crying, he wondered. Good luck making this place work on your own, buddy. Bobby stood and moved toward the go. Door. Let's go, Claire. And that's when Claire seemed to break. Bending over to put her face in her hands. she started shaking even more. Jeff was confused as ever. And that's when he heard the sound of Claire choking back laughter. Shit, Claire, Bobby shouted at his colleague. She turned toward Bobby and broke down laughing. I'm sorry, I just couldn't. You blew it. We had him going. Bobby was shaking his head at Claire. Finally... Jeff came to terms with the prank that had just been pulled on him. You guys are bastards. Jeff's indignation was more than tempered by his relief. Smiling, he picked up a bottle of water from the table in front of him and threw it at Bobby, who caught it. Admit it. We got you, Bobby teased. I'm so sorry, Jeff. Claire just pleaded with her new boss. He made me do it. She, Jeff teased her, so I guess you'll be handing your own termination. She winced. Bob is going to be so pissed at us when he hears about this. No, he's not, Bobby countered. He'll think it's hilarious. Jeff agreed with him. Yeah, he will, the blowhard. Gallows humor. Claire then tried to sober the room. Why are we laughing? We're all screwed. This only made them laugh harder for a moment until reality began to take hold. Jeff felt like the situation was a little morse, given his uncle's medical condition. Do you guys think he's going to be okay? Suddenly, Claire felt bad news for her new boss. Oh yeah, I do. Tell him what you said earlier, Bobby. My brother had the same diagnosis a few years ago and the same surgery. It's not all that risky as long as his diet and lifestyle change. Bobby paused to let Jeff digest it all. He should be fine. Glad for the reassurance about his uncle, Jeff needed a little for himself too. So, is there any truth, even a little, to what you guys were saying? Before they could answer, he explained, I mean, do you guys feel like one of you should have gotten this job? Jeff was glad that Bobby went first. Are you kidding? If Bob had made me CEO, I'd have quit. I know what I'm good at, and it's not this, he said. Looking around the office, I'm a field ops guy. Claire jumped in, and as much as I've Loved advising Bob. I wouldn't be right in that chair. That's not for me. Okay, but how do you feel about me sitting in it? Well, we'd be lying if we didn't admit that we had our concerns, Claire said, with a perfect combination of bluntness and compassion. Bobby continued, oh yeah, we're as worried as you are, my friend. But it's not like we had someone else in mind who we think would do better. Given the craziness of the situation right now, you're probably our best option. Why do you say that?" Claire answered, because we need someone we know and trust. There's no hero out there who could come in from the outside and make this work. And you're invested. You're family. Yeah, Bobby said, and you're not a jackass. With a hint of humor. You're a good kid and you listen. We know you get us, Bobby said. Jeff could never have imagined that the words You're not a jackass could be so comforting. Or that he'd be considered a kid in his 40s. Still, he had to push a little harder. Okay, I appreciate that, but I have to ask the big question. He paused for effect. Are you ready to let me be the leader of the company? and of you guys? Claire and Bobby looked at each other and then turned to Jeff. Absolutely, Bobby declared. Claire agreed, same here. Jeff was relieved. Okay, you up for dinner tonight? First meeting. Sitting down at a big table in the back of Maria's Mexican restaurant, a few blocks from the office, Jeff and his new direct reports moved aside their plates and silverware to make room for paperwork. Given that it was a weeknight and that the food at Maria's wasn't particularly good, they had much of the establishment to themselves. Okay, let's try to avoid getting into too many details right now, Jeff explained. Let's just identify the biggest levers that we're going to need to pull to make this work. Bobby and Claire didn't respond right away, so he clarified. I'm talking about big categories like financing, labor, materials. Now their heads were nodding and almost in unison, they said labor. His mouth full, Jeff motioned for them to explain and Bobby went first. We need to add at least, he paused to do some quick math in his head, 60 people in the next two months. He looked at Claire for confirmation. She sighed, agreeing. What kind of people are we talking about? Jeff wanted to know. Nail pounders? Project managers? Foremen? Yes. Bobby responded with no sense of humor. Everything. Claire added, but there are four critical hires we have to make first a project manager for the hospital, two foremen, and a senior engineer. Three foremen, Bobby corrected her. Okay, maybe three foremen, and then we're going to need a half dozen supervisors and about 50 contractors of all kinds. She shook her head as if she hadn't quite realized the gravity of the situation until going over the list in her head. This is crazy. She wrote the numbers in a notepad. They spent the next 30 minutes talking about the specific jobs they'd need to fill and how they would deploy them. Jeff decided it was time to move on. Okay, what else, besides hiring? For almost two hours, the three executives went through the details of the two big projects, everything from permits and schedules to design and materials. Jeff thought he had learned a lot in his first 60 days on the job, but he would later admit that he absorbed more during those three hours at Maria's than in the previous two months. It was like a crash course in construction management, inspired by the new sense of urgency and fear. At 9 o'clock, he decided to call it a night. Let's not burn ourselves out on the first big leg of this race. They agreed to meet the next afternoon after Bobby came back from the Oak Ridge building site, a problematic shopping center project that VB was trying to finish. First meeting. Sitting down at a big table in the back of Maria's Mexican restaurant a few blocks from the office, Jeff and his new direct reports moved aside their plates and silverware to make room for paperwork. Given that it was a weeknight and that the food at Maria's wasn't particularly good, they had much of the establishment to themselves. Okay, let's try to avoid getting into too many details right now, Jeff explained. Let's just identify the biggest levers that we're going to need to pull to make this work. Bobby and Claire didn't respond right away, so he clarified. I'm talking about big categories, like financing, labor, materials. Now their heads were nodding, and almost in unison, they said labor. His mouth full, Jeff motioned for them to explain, and Bobby went first. We need to add at least, he paused to do some quick math in his head, 60 people in the next two months. He looked at Claire for confirmation. She sighed, agreeing. But what kind of people are we talking about? Jeff wanted to know. Nail pounders, project managers, foremen. Yes, Bobby responded with no sense of humor. Everything. Claire added, but there are four critical hires we have to make first. A project manager for the hospital, two foremen, and a senior engineer. Three foremen, Bobby corrected her. Okay, maybe three foremen, and then we're going to need a half dozen supervisors and about 50 contractors of all kinds. She shook her head as if she hadn't quite realized the gravity of the situation until going over the list in her head. This is crazy. She wrote the numbers in a notepad. They spent the next 30 minutes talking about the specific jobs they'd need to fill and how they would deploy them. Jeff decided it was time to move on okay what else besides hiring for almost two hours the three executives went through the details of the two big projects everything from permits and schedules to design and materials jeff thought he had learned a lot in his first 60 days on the job but he would later admit that he absorbed more during those three hours at maria's than in the previous two months it was like a crash course in construction management inspired by the new sense of urgency and fear at nine o'clock he decided to call it a night Let's not burn ourselves out on the first big leg of this race. They agreed to meet the next afternoon after Bobby came back from the Oak Ridge building site, a problematic shopping center project that VB was trying to finish. Regrouping. On the way home, Jeff called Uncle Bob's youngest son, Ben. He had always been Jeff's favorite cousin for the same reason that Bob was his favorite uncle. Ben shared his dad's big personality though not his girth. Ben was a history teacher and basketball coach at a high school up in the Valley of St. Helena. Though he was barely 40, he had become something of a legend as a coach whose teams always seemed to win more than their talent warranted. Jeff decided he wouldn't even touch on business issues, not wanting to be insensitive. How are you feeling about your dad's situation? Ben didn't seem overly concerned. I'm okay. I'm just glad he found out when he did. Based on what the doctor said, he should be okay as long as he stops eating all that crap and stays out of the work stress. Frankly, I'm probably more worried about you. Me? Jeff was genuinely surprised. Yeah, with Dad stepping away, I'm wondering how you're feeling. And what you think's going to happen at VB? For a moment, Jeff wondered whether Ben was more concerned about his cousin or his own financial interests. Well, it's going to be hard, but after meeting with Claire and Bobby tonight, I think... We'll figure it out. Jeff was acting more confident than he was feeling. I wish I could help. Ben seemed sincere. Well, I'll take all the help I can get. Do you have any opinions or ideas about the business? I'm afraid I don't know much about the X's and O's of what Dad does. I wish I did, but if you want to put together a company basketball team, I'm your man. Jeff laughed. All right. Hey, if there's anything I can ever do for you, Mom and Dad, Let me know. I will. Main thing is to keep them in your prayers. You know I will. Ben smiled. We all really appreciate what you're doing for Dad. The company means a lot to the family, and not just financially. Of course, Jeff replied, doing his best to mask the growing pressure he was feeling. The cousins agreed to get together for coffee in a week, and the conversation ended just as Jeff pulled into his driveway. He hadn't talked to his wife, Maureen, since all of this happened, wanting to break the news to her in person. She was a constant source of perspective and empathy, as well as optimism. Usually Jeff appreciated that optimism. Tonight he was more than a little disappointed that she didn't seem even a little worried. As bad as I feel for Bob, I think the work part is actually a good thing for you, Maureen explained. Jeff looked at her like she was insane. She clarified, just listen, I I love that it's calmer up here and that your commute is shorter and that we see you more, but you need a challenge. You've always needed challenges. I don't know, he took a deep breath. This one might be a little too close to home. She seemed a little surprised. You mean the family thing? He nodded. I never thought that my success at work could impact my relationship with my family. Heck, even my dad will know if I screw this up. Maureen dismissed it all. Don't be silly. They're all rooting for you. No one expects you to be Superman. Just take it one issue at a time. Jeff wanted to argue, but knew that she was right. Thinking about the big picture too much would overwhelm him, but he could certainly manage one issue at a time. Fortunately, the first and most important issue would be the subject of his meeting the next day. Getting messy. Jeff took a detour on his way to work in the morning, stopping by the Oak Ridge building site to check in with Bobby and his crew. When he pulled up to the trailer, he didn't see Bobby's car. He left five minutes ago, someone standing outside the VB trailer explained. Jeff decided to spend some time walking the site, greeting as many workers as he could find, just to get a better sense of who they were. It certainly wasn't the first time since joining the company that he had been to a work site. He had made habit of going out into the field a few times every week, but he had never to Oak Ridge, mostly because it was almost complete and provided few learning opportunities compared to the earlier stage projects. But Jeff was learning new things now and viewing the site from a CEO's perspective, even if no one knew that he was their new boss. When he arrived back at the office, Bobby and Claire were sitting at Uncle Bob's desk. Hey, I thought you were going to spend the morning at Oak Ridge, Jeff said to Bobby. I guess I missed you by a few minutes. Claire carried her Opened laptop over to Jeff and put it in front of him. You need to read this. We're sending it out this morning, she explained a little sadly. Jeff was confused. Okay. He sat down to read an email that Bob had written to his employees. It was a touching explanation of his medical situation, his fondness for VB and the people who worked there, and his sadness about having to leave. Jeff had tears in his eyes within minutes. Bob also announced that he was extremely glad to name Jeff as the company's new leader. He even noted that Claire and Bobby had expressed to him their confidence in Jeff, both as a person and as an executive. When Jeff finished, he looked up at Bobby and Claire, who seemed at once to be melancholy about Bob and concern for the company. Bob wanted to send a video, Claire explained, but he decided he wouldn't be able to get through it because he'd be too emotional. And just in case you're wondering, he was telling the truth about our confidence in you, Bobby added without much mention. Jeff was overwhelmed, mostly by gratitude, but by pressure, too. He would never forget that moment. Thankfully, Claire broke the silence. Okay, boys, we need to get to work. She paused and took a deep breath. So what's going on at Oak Ridge, Bobby? Things looked okay today, which is why I came here early. I figured we should get started as soon as possible. Jeff moved to his desk and opened his notebook. All right then, let's talk about staffing. He looked at his notes. Basically, we have eight weeks to hire 60 people. Bobby winced. Ooh, don't say eight weeks. Call it two months. That sounds longer. Then he corrected his boss. And it's more likely 80 people. Jeff was confused. Looking down at his notebook, wait, last night you said 60. Claire explained, We said we need 60 more people to staff the project. To do that, we'll have to hire at least 80. Why? We'll lose at least 20 of them along the way. Jeff was shocked. That's 33% turnover. We can do math too, smart guy. Bobby teased him. Jeff looked at Claire. Is this typical for every construction company? Why haven't I heard about this sooner? She explained, turnover in construction isn't uncommon, but we're higher than most. Why? Because we're a little more demanding of our employees when it comes to behavior. Bob just doesn't tolerate people who don't fit the VB culture. You mean teamwork? Jeff asked. Claire and Bobby nodded. Jeff decided to let the turnover issue go for the moment. Okay, he sighed. Where do we find these people? Let's start with the guys pounding nails and pouring cement. Claire waved off the question, we've got that covered. We have sources and if we have to, we can staff the lower level jobs through subcontractors and temp services. It'll cost us more, but that's a high class problem at this point. And what about the foreman and the project manager? Well, that's a little harder and we just lost two foremen a few months ago. So we're already a little behind. Yeah, what happened with that? Well, you know that Oak Ridge is almost a month late Which isn't as bad as it could have been, given the problems we had. Two of our best foremen quit because the conditions on site were toxic. Jeff looked worried. You don't mean literally toxic. No, I mean ugly. We had a difficult project manager handling one part of the job and a few pushy foremen who made things worse. Life was pretty miserable over there for a while. How so? Bobby jumped in. Bullshit accusations from one group to another. Mostly about who was slacking off and who was pulling their weight. What about the difficult project manager? What did he do? She, Claire explained, Nancy Morris, she tried to ignore it. Told everyone to just get along and get their work done. Things got worse. Who got fired? Jeff wanted to know. Well, Bobby explained a little sheepishly, no one. When the two foremen quit, we couldn't afford to lose anyone, even if we wanted to. It was a total mess. Jeff tried not to sound judgmental. So are we planning to keep the crappy project manager and foreman? Unfortunately, yes, Bobby answered. We're going to need as many people as we can get. Now Jeff couldn't hold back his frustration. So I guess the teamwork stuff we did last year wasn't real after all. Claire was defensive now. Wait, that's not fair. Bob was very serious about it, and so were we. He always says that he'd rather sell the company than have a bunch of political, self-centered people working here. Bobby added, And it wasn't just a bunch of bullshit posters and t-shirts, if that's what you mean. We did those sessions on trust and healthy conflict and accountability, the ones you helped us with. We just got busy and dropped the ball and didn't push it down into the rest of the organization. That was probably my bad, because most of these people worked in my group. I should have seen it, Sooner, too, Claire admitted. Jeff wasn't convinced, but tried to stay focused. Where did the two foremen go? The ones who left? They're doing contract work on the other end of the valley, Bobby explained. Residential stuff. Are they really good? And if so, can we get them back? Bobby shrugged. I'm not sure. Jeff frowned. You mean you're not sure they're good or not? Bobby shook his head. No, I don't know if we can get them back. As far as whether they're good, I guess it depends on what you all mean by good. Well, how about in terms of teamwork? Jeff asked, looking at Claire. She shrugged. That probably depends on who you ask, too. But I thought they were solid. Jeff was more than a little troubled by the lack of clarity from his colleagues and decided he didn't have the luxury of holding back. The hammer. Okay, I'm going to get pretty direct here if that's all right. Jeff was trying hard to be polite. Bobby and Claire looked at each other with a little concern on their faces, and then they nodded. You guys and Bob really dropped the ball on the teamwork project. They didn't say anything, so Jeff continued, focusing on Bobby. You said it wasn't just posters and t-shirts, but what else was it? Before they could answer, he went on, Because you don't seem to know what you mean when you talk about team players, and so you can't possibly know who needs to change, who should stay, and who should go. We didn't say, Claire wanted to explain, but Jeff wouldn't let her. Oh wait, I forgot. Jeff was being sarcastic, but not rude. You do have one clear definition. A person can't be a jackass. They laughed, but in a guilty sort of way. After a moment, Bobby said something surprising. Actually, that's probably about right. Call them jerks or SOBs. Whatever the case, that's how I think about it. Jeff smiled. Let's stick with jackasses for right now. So how do you know if a person is a jackass, and how do you avoid hiring them? Claire answered first. I guess you know one after you've worked with one for a while. Jeff shook his head. Yeah, but by then it's too late, and you know what happens when you keep a jackass longer than you should. They didn't respond, so he answered the question for them. The non-jackasses start to leave. He might as well have punched Bobby in the stomach, because the look on his face was a pained one. Looking at Claire, Bobby declared, that's what happened with Carl and Pedro. Claire explained it to Jeff. They're the two foremen we lost. I don't know about Carl, but Pedro definitely wasn't a jackass. Nancy and some of the others on her team, I'm not too sure about. You guys see the problem, right? They nodded. And Claire made a sarcastic suggestion. Maybe our new slogan should be, no jackasses allowed. (laughs) That would make a great poster. Bobby picked up his pen and started to write. I'll get right on that. Is jackass one word or two? Ignoring her colleague's humor, Claire seemed to have a a revelation. You know, we always just relied on Bob for knowing who fit and who didn't. He had a way with sizing people up. But even if he couldn't get everyone right and... He couldn't interview and decide on every candidate at every level. I guess it just broke down. Jeff seemed suddenly energized. Well, I think it's time we figure this out. We have to stop hiring people who aren't team players and we have to find out how many non-team players are still working here and then get them to change or move them out. He paused and looked at his notes because if we can't do that, I don't see how we're going to build a hotel a new wing on a hospital in the next 18 months. He paused, took a breath, and as much as I hate to say it, if we can't do that, then I really don't know how we're going to keep VB in business. Research. Jeff decided to go back to the bridge site during lunch to take another look with a different set of eyes as he explained it to Claire and Bobby. On the way, he called his cousin Ben. Hey, remember when I said... We should have coffee next week. He didn't wait for an answer. How about this afternoon instead? Ben teased him. You really did miss me, don't you? You know I do, and maybe I can ask you some questions about the company. Kind of, but not really about the company. I'll explain it to you when I see you. How does 30 minutes work for you? How about four? I've got office hours until 345. See you at Starbucks, the one by the A&W restaurant off the highway. By the time he hung up, he was pulling up to the new Oak Ridge Shopping Center. I love how close everything is up here, he thought. Because construction crews start working earlier, then most people, they eat lunch earlier too. Though it was just past noon, everyone was back on the job. So Jeff went to the trailer to see who was there. Nancy Morris was sitting at the makeshift desk in the corner of the sparse trailer, rifling through papers. Excuse me, Jeff interrupted her. Nancy looked up, but didn't say anything. Hi, I'm Jeff. She responded as though he were a cement vendor. Yeah, I know. We met once at the office. Come on in. She motioned to a folding chair on the other side of her desk, but couldn't seem to break a smile. I guess I should uh, congratulate you on your promotion. Well, I wish it would have been under different circumstances, but thank you. How can I help you? Nancy asked without emotion. Well, I was just wondering if you're a jackass. Jeff didn't actually say that, but that's what he was thinking. Instead, he decided to take a more subtle approach. How are things going around here? Nancy continued looking through her papers while she answered, well, it depends on what you mean. Jeff was a little surprised by her abruptness and a little intimidated in a way he hadn't experienced in high tech. Nancy was attractive, about Jeff's age, and almost a foot shorter than him. Still, Jeff decided she could probably take him in a wrestling match. It wasn't her size or apparent strength, but rather her demeanor. A mix of toughness and self-confidence. Jeff knew this was no time to be weak. Well, for starters, how confident are you that we're going to make the new deadline? My part of it looks good, but you'll have to ask Craig. He's the other project manager doing the hardscaping and civic stuff. So you don't know how he's doing? She shook her head. Not really. Haven't seen him much lately. Jeff didn't want to have this conversation, but couldn't let it go. Nancy, it seems to me that you ought to know about the entire project. If we miss another deadline, it's not going to matter which part is late. Nancy looked up and took a breath. Listen, Craig doesn't even invite me to his meetings anymore, so I just keep my head down, work my tail off, and leave it at that. I really do want to get this project done on time, but it's been pretty awful, and I'll be glad when it's over. I'm sorry if that sounds bad, but it's my reality right now. Part of Jeff appreciated her honesty, but a bigger part thought she was just abrasive. Do you know where I can find Craig? She shook her head. No, but if I had to guess, I'd say he's over by the main entrance to the parking lot. I saw him there about an hour ago. Jeff left, knowing he'd have to address Nancy's issues at some point. He wasn't looking forward to that day. Two Sides Jeff happened to know what Craig looked like because their kids went to the same school when they had a couple beers together at the St. Mary's Parish International night a few weeks earlier. Craig noticed Jeff walking toward him and broke away from the workers he was standing with near the entrance. Well, two visits in one day, he said, smiling. Everything okay? Jeff was glad that Craig seemed happy to see him. Yeah, everything's fine. I just wanted to know how things are going. Suddenly deciding that he should be more direct, Jeff corrected himself. Actually, maybe things aren't fine. I I don't know. Craig looked concerned. How can I help? Well, I was just talking to Nancy, and it seems like you guys have had some issues. Before Craig could jump in, Jeff continued. Now, I know about the foreman who quit a few months ago and all that. Bobby gave me the basic story there. I'm just wondering what your take is and why you and Nancy aren't working better together. Craig frowned. How frank do you want me to be? Does anyone ever say not to be frank? I guess not, Craig smiled, but I could give you the politically correct answer, or I could cut to the chase. The chase. Okay. That woman, he said, pointing to the trailer across the parking lot, has some serious issues. I mean, she knows her stuff when it comes to putting up a building. I'll give her that. But she's not easy to work with. Not for anybody. Jeff just listened, and Craig went on. She blamed my guys for her guys quitting. But it was her as much as anything else. Yeah, we were tough on them for falling behind, and that's mostly because none of them could deal with her. I hate to say it. He hesitated before finishing. But she's kind of a hag. Jeff didn't smile. I'm not not exactly sure what a hag is, Craig. Be a little more specific. Sorry, it's just that she makes people so mad. The way she says things. Her mannerisms, facial expressions. Heck, even her vendors don't like dealing with her. Is that why you don't have her come to your meetings? Craig smiled. But not in a happy way. She told you that? Jeff nodded. I didn't say she couldn't come to our meetings, Craig explained. I'd said she couldn't come if she was going to piss everyone off, so she stopped showing up. You think she acts that way on purpose? Jeff wondered out loud. Craig said, I don't know, but anyone who's that good at making people uncomfortable probably doesn't do it by accident. What about you? Craig was confused, but not defensive. What do you mean? What do you do that makes her mad? He thought about it before responding, I... I don't know. I suppose I don't tolerate her attitude very well, and I should have sat down with her to rebuild the relationship when she stopped coming to the meetings. But you say she's good at her work from a technical standpoint. Yeah, he shrugged. She's really good at figuring out what needs to be done and keeping things organized. Big ego? Craig Winston scratched his head. You know, as much of a pain in the ass as she is, I wouldn't say she's egotistical or self-centered. It's weird. She's just a pain, whether she knows it or not. That phrase, whether she knows it or not, stuck with Jeff. Though he was as confused as he had been a half hour earlier, Jeff felt a new sense of energy. It was that feeling he was used to getting when he was consulting, like a detective trying to solve a crime. Maybe this won't be so bad after all, he wondered and hoped. Fine-tooth comb When he got back to the office, Jeff found Bobby and Claire in Bobby's office. Jeff, we're on a conference call. So he mouthed the words, Come to my office when you're done. They nodded, and he left in search of anything that might add to his understanding of the problems at VB. Stopping by the large break room and grabbing a Dr. Pepper from the fridge, he found a handful of administrative employees having a late lunch at one of the large round tables. Jeff had come to know them over the course of his first months on the job and decided to Learned what he could from them. Mind if I sit down with you? They invited Jeff to join. Jeff opened his bottle and got right to the point. I need to ask you a question. The three women and two men nodded to give him permission. What do you guys think of the hiring situation around here? One of the women at the table, Kim, who served as the office receptionist and did some administrative work for Claire and HR, asked for clarification. You mean the process? Jeff shrugged. The process, the effectiveness, the overall quality, anything. Jeff then realized that they might be reluctant to be honest, not wanting to damage the reputation of their bosses. This isn't a witch hunt or anything. I'm working with Claire and Bobby to figure some things out. We want to be as open and clear as possible, so don't hold back. Cody, a finance manager, went first. I've been here the least amount of time of all of us, I think, He looked around the table, and the others nodded to confirm his assertion. So I probably have a better sense of the process from a new hires' perspective. And I think it was pretty good. What do you mean by pretty good? Jeff asked. Well, everyone was friendly, professional. It made me want to work here, for sure. What about the questions they asked you during interviews? Cody had to think about it. It was all pretty standard. What I'd done in my career, my strengths and weaknesses... "'Anything about cultural fit, attitude?' Cody seemed to have a minor revelation. "'Yeah, I almost forgot. "'A few of the interviewers wanted to know "'if I valued teamwork. "'What did they ask?' Cody frowned, trying to remember. "'I think they wanted to know "'if I was capable of being honest and vulnerable.' Kim jumped in. "'I helped put the hiring binders together. "'The interviewers are supposed to ask about trust?' and whether people are good at having healthy conflict, and a few other things. Now Cody remembered, yeah, and they wanted to know if I was results-oriented, if I had a history of getting difficult things done. Jeff was a little more impressed than he expected to be and made a note to compliment Claire and Bobby. He'd be able to do that sooner than he thought because at that moment the two execs walked into the break room. There you are, Bobby said. We went by your office and couldn't find you. "'Sorry, I was just trying to do some research behind your backs about hiring.' The people at the table laughed a little nervously. "'I hope you didn't throw me under the bus,' Claire said to Kim. Jeff answered for her, "'Not at all. "'She just said that you're rarely in the office "'and that they do all the work in the administration.' Kim, who was the spunkier than her position in the company might suggest, threw a wadded-up napkin at Jeff. "'That's not true.' Claire smiled and directed her question at Jeff. So, what did you learn? Well, it seems like you've done more around the teamwork stuff than posters and t-shirts. Cody pretended to be upset. Hey, I didn't get a teamwork poster. I was hoping for one with a picture of people rowing a boat. Bobby added, or a bunch of people standing in a circle with their hands together in the middle. Jeff could see that the sarcasm in the company went deeper than the executive level. Claire pushed a little. What else did you learn? Jeff hesitated, not wanting to say anything in front of the employees that might seem too critical. He threw caution to the wind. Well, as much as we want to be a team, company, and hire team players, I don't think we know what that means. Seems like a crapshoot to me. To prove his point, Jeff turned to Cody. What did you say in your interview when they asked you about trust and conflict? He shrugged and smiled. Almost in a guilty way. Well, I guess I told them that I'm trustworthy and that I don't mind engaging in a debate. Jeff nodded and then asked a rhetorical question. Do you think anyone ever says, now that you ask, I'd have to say that I'm hard to trust. I can't admit when I'm wrong, and I have a rage problem. They laughed. And I'm an axe murderer, Bobby added, provoking more laughter. Claire explained, well, it's not just what the candidates say, it's how they say it and how they act during the interview. Jeff didn't want to be too tough or disagreeable. You're right, Claire, I can get that. I'm just wondering if we really know what to look for. What are good indicators that the candidates are capable of the five behaviors we worked on? Claire nodded and shrugged simultaneously in a way that suggested she might concede the point. Jeff thanked the group for their time and perspectives and then led Bobby and Claire to Bob's office as Jeff still caught it.